0: Ever waited for something so long that you thought it might never happen? Whatever it was you were were waiting for, maybe um, maybe you were waiting or praying for a spouse um, that just never seemed to materialize. Maybe you're one of those couples who had hoped for a child that didn't seem to come. Um, it's Christmas al- almost. I mean, you realize it's like 13 days away, which is which is crazy. Um, and maybe you've been waiting for that one toy that you wanted when you were a kid, and and you didn't. And maybe you're still waiting and kind of secretly hoping that you get that toy finally for Christmas. It's tough to wait for things that we um, that we want, especially if we think that we. We need them. Uh, um, Andy and I had this interesting experience. I don't know um, if any of you have been um, car shopping since COVID, but it is a completely different experience than it was uh, prior to that. Um, we've been informed that Andrea's car, though she loves it, has, has what she calls a terminal illness. <laughs> it is not going to get better and it, is, it, is, it would not be cheap to have it fixed. And so the mechanic was like okay drive it but you need to have a another car and so we were like you know what um andrea you've you've crossed that 50 mark um you've been working this job for a long time you you need a good car you need a car um that you actually want and so uh so we went and looked for cars we ended up at hyundai and uh we we went and said what, what do we do like you don't have cars on the lot, what do we do? And he said, well, you, so you pre-order what you want and then and then we send it in and then it, then it, they deliver this car. We was like, okay, great. How long does that last? He said, well, it's been two to three months uh, so far. And we we're like, well, okay, that will put us, uh, put Andrea in a new car, um, like right around the time school starts back and so she drives the Andover to work and so she'll have this car and it'll be, it'll be really nice. Uh, and so then August came and went, and September came and went, and October came and went, and now November. Now we're in December, and and no car. And so I call the salesman every once in a while. I'm like, hey, um, what any news? Like, we put money down on this vehicle. Uh, what's going on? And and his response is, uh, I don't know. Hopefully next month. Uh, Apparently they, they like, I, don't, I think it's a chip thing or something still, so they have these cars and they don't have the chips in them to make them run. And, um, and so it's like they just get these, places are just getting these allotments uh, and, and it's crazy. It's been six months, no car, no progress, no word, and quite honestly, no hope, uh, for my wife anyway, that she will ever have a, a vehicle that doesn't have this uh, terminal. Um, illness. It's hard to wait for things we want, especially when it feels like there's no action and no movement forward. We can get really discouraged and really depressed when that happens. We're like, I, I want this thing, I need this thing, and it just seems like nothing is, is happening. We believe, as followers of Jesus, we believe that God has the ability to radically and very quickly change our lives but if we're um, honest if we can just be real with ourselves and each other um, sometimes we act like he won't there won't be change and it won't come quickly even if we wish that it would when we're dealing with god and we don't feel like he's responding he's answering he's Working, we really can begin to just um, kind of take a, a nosedive simply because we don't see or hear him working. And so in order to fully uh, appreciate the position that the Israelite people were in as a nation and as individuals, as we uh, talk about Zechariah's song today, we need to have, I think, a kind of a fuller grasp on the history of the Israelite people coming up to the birth of Jesus. So um, I'm gonna endeavor to do that a a little bit today, uh, give some history and some background and and, and let us kind of fill in some of these gaps So as we talk about Zechariah's song, um, we really can kind of understand some of the emotions and some of the things that he was going through uh, when he said these words. So um, God chose Abraham out of all people on earth. you got to go way back to Genesis in the beginning to see this happen. God chooses Abraham and he chooses Abraham, not because Abraham is righteous, not because he's a great person, not because he's doing everything right, but simply because God chose him. So it all came from God, right? It wasn't because Abraham could say, hey, I'm such a great guy. Like we're told about Noah in the ark, that God chose Noah to build the ark because he was a righteous man, uh, most righteous on the planet at the time, which is a pretty high praise. We're not told that about Abraham. We're not given any idea about the kind of person Abraham was before God called him. And so, um, God chooses Abraham out of all these people and then promises through Abraham to send a deliverer for the nation of Israel. Someone who would save Israel from their enemies and save Israel from themselves. And so um, we go along for several hundred, that's thousand years, and you come to King David. King David is given the throne. He's the second king of Israel after Saul, and God kind of deposed him, and then David became king. And then the promises of this deliverer get more specific, um, and there's just more promises, more prophecies about it. And, And so we're told, God begins to tell the prophets and tell the people That the deliverer and this promise of deliverance is going to come through the line of King David. And so you got to follow that line, right? He's Israel's king, and everybody loved him pretty much at the time. Uh, The problem is that King David's line eventually fell out of favor. And, and, and eventually, the, um, the kingly line of David just kind of goes away. And so by the time we get to Mary and Joseph, nobody really cares about King David anymore. For thousands of years, the people waited for this deliverer, talked about the promises, talked about the prophecies, and yet um, saw little action. There were prophets that came and spoke to the people. Usually that prophet was was there to do one of two things, to discipline the people, like hey, you've blown it, and if you don't straighten up, God is, is gonna get you. Um, or secondly, after they have messed up and they have been sold into slavery and they're in Babylon or Assyria has come and captured them uh, or the Philistines or or whatever, um, then God sends a prophet to them to encourage them. Hey, if you turn back to me, I'll come and rescue them, uh, rescue you. And so more prophets, more prophecies come. Though the people uh, sinned, and they suffered at the hands of their enemies, they had these promises from God that a deliverer would one day come, would take up his father David's crown and then would reign in power. So through all of their exiles in Babylon, their defeats at the hands of the Philistines and Assyrians, they had these promises, they had these prophets who continued to hold out hope for them. And then things, um, then things turned. And the sin and the arrogance of Israel caught up to them once again. And while they continued to go through the motions, they kind of followed the rules and, and laws of their relationship with God that, that were given at Mount Sinai. Um, their relationship with God, their connection to God, their, their uh, desire or zeal to follow God began to fade So the rejection uh, of the truth began to to happen. Well, yes, we understand God says this and wants this, but we're gonna do this um, over here. They began to worship other gods, and then they refused to to love God the the way they were supposed to, and love other people um, as well. And so their heart began to lead them astray, and, and it led to this period of time that we call the 400 years of silence. And this 400 years comes um, from the end of of Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, the last prophet who speaks. And then there's 400 years until God begins to speak again through the angel Gabriel to Zechariah and then to to Mary and then to Joseph. And so it's this time between Malachi and between Jesus um, that uh, was difficult for the people. They were going through the motions. They were going into the temple. They were still doing the things that God told them to do. But their relationship as a nation and as individuals with God really had dropped off. It was like they showed up to church, but then they didn't live like they believed anything that they were taught or they talked about throughout the week. They they did the thing they were supposed to do, but then didn't do any of the other things things. And so it's this time between Malachi and between the birth of Jesus that we have these guys like Zechariah who worked in the temple and continued to do their their duty. They they showed up and they had to serve and there were things that they had to do in the temple each and every day, but they served in this way where there just, there was little hope. Like they'd been waiting for this promise, they'd been waiting for this deliverer, they'd been in exile, they'd been back, they'd been conquered, it'd been just terrible back and forth. And, and really at this point in time, when the angel visits Zechariah, Israel is once again oppressed. Rome has come and has conquered the whole area, and they're an occupying force in Israel. And so um, the Israelites were trying to follow God, uh, or at least they were trying to obey the things that he said to do, but then they were struggling with this relationship with Rome. And and, and Rome um, was a different kind of, of, of beast altogether. It was kind of a crazy um, mix-up of, of things, and the way their households were run and society it was just completely... Different And so often, Roman society and Jewish society were at complete odds. And Rome was not um, very kind. If you were a Roman soldier, you were kind of at the top of the heap, and a Roman soldier could command anybody else to do anything they wanted to do, almost, and they had to do it. You, like you had no recourse. There was, there was no court to go to say, hey, this Roman soldier's being mean to me um, because if you complained, you might just die. And, and so there really wasn't any way to get out of this. It was a very, very difficult situation. And so they're oppressed by um, their Roman occupiers. They're uh, trying to go worship in the temple and do that kind of stuff. It's a very difficult situation and they've heard nothing from God for 400 years. It feels like um, God has just kind of abandoned them. Like, we thought we had this deal, God, where we were going to follow you and you were going to do these things, and, um, and yet you're not doing them, and it's a very, very difficult um, situation. They begin to kind of feel like the promises of God might um, never come to pass. Now, th- today, we're going to focus on Zechariah's song. Zechariah is Elizabeth's husband. And we talked a lot about Elizabeth last Sunday in the first, series, uh, first message in this series. Elizabeth is the one that Mary goes to after Mary talks to the angel and finds out she's pregnant. Because the angel told us that Elizabeth was also pregnant um, with a miraculous <laughs> conception of, of sorts. And so before the angel Gabriel actually visits Mary he stops to see Zechariah. And while um, Mary responds to the words of Gabriel with um, faith and with hope, Zechariah responds to the words of Gabriel with um, fear and with skepticism. And so um, picture the scene a, a little bit. Zechariah is um, one of the high priests. He's not the high priest. He's not the one who um, enters into the Holy of Holies once a year and makes the sacrifice on the altar or the uh, Ark of the Covenant for the sins of all the people, including their own. He's not that high priest, but he is a High priest, there were lots of them, and they were the priests who were able to go into the temple, into the front room of the temple called the holy place. And from there, they had several duties. There was a uh, lamp that had seven um, wicks on it. And so they had to add oil to the lamp. It had to be burning continuously. They had to uh, put incense on the altar of incense, uh, just directly on the other side of the curtain from the Ark of the Covenant. And they had to offer that there and keep that burning. That represented the prayers of the people. And then there was another table in the temple front room um, called the table of showbread. And it was where uh, fresh baked bread would go and be changed out every day. And so this were requirements of things Things that had to be done in the temple, and it was these high priests who were the ones who went in and uh, and did this. So, um, Zechariah is uh, going in to do whatever his job is. Probably based on the fact that the angel came to uh, the altar of incense. Probably Zechariah's job that day was to add uh, oil or, or add incense to that table, um, and and so this was his this was his situation. Now to get a better picture of what it's like to enter into the temple of God. Very, very few people ever entered the, the temple. Only the high priests at the upper levels were able to go in there. Um, I asked Adam, Adam Avey, sitting right up here, uh, Adam is a firefighter in, in Wichita, and I asked him if he could bring some fire gear, and so he did, uh, somebody asked me already, um, they said, well, I, I guess Corey feels like if the church can't have the building, nobody can have the building. <laughs> it's, not, it's not why that's there. <laughs> uh, Adam, I asked Adam to, to bring his um, uh, to ge- gear in to just help me explain how the presence of God functioned in the time of Zechariah and at the temple. And so think about... Um, Think about God's presence as a flame or a, a fire. We, most of us like fire. Uh, I, I'm a candle guy. I like candles. Um, I like cinnamon candles. Uh, I like cinnamon clove candles. I think those are the the best. In fact, I'll tell you, uh, Andrew and I were in Omaha a couple, couple weeks ago celebrating our anniversary, and we went into this little shop, and I found this candle, cinnamon clove candle, that... Uh, Burn, like the wick burns around in a spiral around the outside of the candle, and it melts all the wax into the candle, and then there's a wood wick at the bottom, and so it got three hours of burn as the wick burns around, and then once it gets down to the wood wick, you, it burns for another 40 hours. This smells very good. I'm very excited about lighting this candle. I told Andrea, I said, I'm, I'm buying this candle to light in my new office at the Civic Center. I'm, I'm excited about that. I, I, Honestly, I kind of have doubted. I've been like, man, I don't know. But I'm like, nope, I'm saving it. I'm going to light that candle. So um, I, fire is good. Candles are, are good. We like fire, light a fire outside. It's cold. You get close to it. You get warm. But what happens if you back up a little too close to the fire, then, then you're in trouble, right? Then, then you start having um, issues. This was what it was like in the, in the temple. Um, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God with his people. And so you have the righteousness, the holiness, the purity, the power of God being present in the world in, in this Contained area of the Ark of the Covenant. When you look at the prescription of how the Israelites were to set up around the temple when they were wandering through the desert, you'll notice that there was a lot of space given um, to the Ark of the Covenant around. Like there was um, free space where nobody could set anything up. If you were an Israelite and you were just walking past the temple, you had to be careful. Because if you were ritually impure and you got close to the presence of God, you could die. Just like a, a fire is good, but if you get too close to it, you could die. If Adam goes into a fire without all this gear. By the way, this stinks. Yeah. This has been used. <laughs> this, is, this is not for looks. It's very smelly. Thank you. Which, you, which you know so. Yes, that means you do your job. Good job. Uh, So you would not go into a fire get close to flames unless you had all of the right attire on because it helps to protect you against the flame. And it's not that that flame is evil. It's just doing what it does and you have to protect yourself from it. It was the same with the presence of God. It was not that God is evil or that he wanted anybody to die, but his holiness and his power and his righteousness were so great That to get close to that as a sinful human meant you were taking your life into your own hands. And so it was dangerous to get close, but it wasn't because God was out to get anybody, okay? So Zechariah would go into the temple, and as he got close to the Ark of the Covenant, he got more worried, Am I ritually pure? Did I do all the things that I was supposed to do? If I had an impure thought, did I come across a dead body and I didn't know it? There were all these ritual things that they had to watch out for because of God's holiness and, and purity. And so it was very nerve-wracking to go into the temple. I've mentioned this to you before, that the high priest who would actually go behind the curtain and offer the yearly sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant, that high priest, they got to a point where they, would, they tied a rope to him and, and they had bells on his robe so that if the bell stopped ringing, they couldn't hear it any, any longer, and the rope stopped jiggling, they would assume that he was impure, ritually impure when he went in to see uh, God to stand in the presence of God, and that he had died. And with the rope, they could pull him out of the temple. That does not sound like a job I'm particularly interested in <laughs> um, because I've, like, that's hard um, to think. Like, What am I think about? What have I come in contact with if I avoided all the things? Like Leviticus, when you read through that, it's full of all these things you have to avoid ritually or you're unclean. And so for 1400 years, roughly, the people have been following this prescription. They'd been going into the tabernacle and then into the temple, um, the high priest to worship and offer the sacrifices and make sure all the things were done. Um, But we're never told how many of those guys died. We we know that Phineas and Eliezer, who were the sons of Aaron, who was the very first high priest, they walked into the temple inappropriately and they died. We know about those two, but we really don't know about anybody else. But I'm sure there were quite a few of them who went into the temple and never came out, never came out alive anyway, because they were um, ritually impure when they went in. So it's a very difficult situation that Zechariah was going into. Very stressful, very nerve-wracking. On top of that, for 400 years, nobody had heard from God. There hadn't been any angels. There hadn't been any prophets. There had been nothing going on from God's perspective. And so they were just going through the motions, but they were not seeing or hearing anything from God. And, and I'm sure that you would get to a point where you would begin to think maybe God has abandoned us. Maybe he's left us. Maybe he's forgotten about us. Maybe he's moved on to somebody else or another people. If there's something that you have prayed for and the answer to that prayer has been long in coming, you know that feeling. And you begin to wrestle with, well, maybe, maybe the answer is no. Maybe God is saying no. And, and yet I know that I'm supposed to continue to ask and I'm continuing to pray. And so we... We kind of live in this tension where we're just not really sure. And so um, the, the, the priests would go in. They were still cautious, but they had probably begun to get a little more comfortable. And so when Zechariah is in the temple, nervous about doing everything exactly the way it's supposed to be done, and then the angel Gabriel appears on the right-hand side of the altar of incense as he is there um, to add incense to it, he, he, he freaked out. He was not sure what was going on. After so long that an angel would appear, and an angel would appear to him. It's like, why? To me, I don't understand what's going on. You have Zachariah and Elizabeth. Um, don't really know why they were chosen after 400 years. But I think there are some really good reasons for Mary and for Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're told that Zechariah and Elizabeth had remained faithful to God. They were faithful and righteous people before God, even in the midst of their own pain. Because they had for years, decades, prayed to God and asked him for a child. Elizabeth was barren. They were not able to have a a child. And and so um, they had been praying and God had not answered that prayer. And and so I have this opinion. It's just my opinion. It's not in Scripture. But I think probably, if it were me, um, after a while, uh, as I begin to get older, um, I think I would stop praying for a child. By the way, I don't do that. I pray for grandchildren now. I'm all about having grandchildren at some point before I die. Hint, hint. Uh, but I, like, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I don't want kids. No kids. I, I was very happy to to hear Andrea say that she had a procedure done in the hospital a couple of weeks ago, and, and she said, "Oh, they gave me a pregnancy test," and I said, w- "What? What was it?" <laughs> Negative. Oh. <whew. laughs> Good. Good, I'm really glad. No, I'm not interested in kids. And so um, uh, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had probably prayed for decades for a child and they had not gotten the child. And so probably for 30, maybe 50 years, they had stopped praying. They, they would have reached an age where they would have assumed that God's answer was no, they were not gonna have a child and they would have just probably stopped praying. For, they would have reached this point where they said, well, at this point, I don't want a child anymore, Uh, you know, we're too old, it's just, we're past the time uh, where we could have, like, physically have a child, like, we're just done, and so they would have just come to this conclusion and kind of walked away, that they will just never have a child, and then the angel appears to Zechariah in the temple, and he's freaked out, and he tells Zechariah, the prayer, your prayer has been answered, and Zechariah's like, Uh, which prayer is that? (laughs) Because I guarantee you, he was not thinking about a child at at 80 years old or whatever he was serving in the temple. He was not thinking it was that prayer that Zachariah was talking about. Like, what's the the prayer? Oh, yeah, Lamborghini. That's the prayer uh, that's going to be answered or whatever. It just wasn't, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a child. This was not the first thing on his mind. I think that's the why Zechariah responds to Gabriel in the way he does with skepticism because he's like, no, there, no way. Like, are, can you see, angel? Do you look at me? Do you know my wife? Like this is just not um, gonna, gonna happen. And then because of Zechariah's skepticism, he's made mute. The angel says, you're not gonna be able to say a word until your son is, is born. So for nine months or so, um, Zechariah is unable to speak until John is born and, and he's able to say his name is John. And so just like God shows up in kind of a big way after 400 years of silence, Zachariah's song is pretty impressive um, after nine months of, of silence. Uh, and so remember, for thousands of years, the people have been waiting for this moment. And for the last 400 years, they had begun to lose hope. But now that hope has been restored uh, by, uh, with Zechariah, And uh, so Zechariah prompted, Luke says, by the Holy Spirit. He utters this song uh, on, at John's birth about the coming king, the Messiah. Jesus and and what that would mean. And that's what we're going to look at today. And the first thing that Zechariah points to is God's faithfulness nationally. God's faithfulness nationally. And so um, Zechariah has this vision. He's been mute for nine months. John uh, is born to Elizabeth. Uh, They're going to name him, and Luke says, they're going to name him Zachariah, and Zachariah stops him, and he gets a sketch pad out or whatever, and he writes, his name is John, and at that point, his tongue is loosed, and everybody's excited, and then Zachariah says this about God's faithfulness nationally. Let's go to the next one. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesied, saying, blessed be the lord god of israel for he has visited and redeemed his people he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant david he has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers let's go to the next one Uh, And to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, I want to look first at where Zachariah is pointing in this first part of his song. And he's pointing backward. He's pointing to the history of, of Israel, to the promises and the prophes- uh, prophecies that have been made um, by the prophets of, of God. And so in verse 69, uh, as Mary's cousin, Zechariah would have been very familiar with Mary's lineage and the fact that Mary came from the line of of David, And so Zechariah would have known that, and he speaks about that because he talks about this horn being raised up. And that's language that we don't use today uh, in today's culture, this horn being raised. But in Zechariah's day, it would have been very common because they uh, talked about kings and conquerors as a bull uh, who was victorious in some kind of battle. And so a bull uh, would raise his head and raise a horn up in the air to show, his dominance. And so they talked about kings in, in that way, that God raised this horn like a, like a mighty bull uh, because Jesus has the power to do what he's come to do. He's this conquering king and hero. It signifies the strength uh, of the king to save the people. And and then Zechariah begins to just list prophecies that the people would have been very familiar with in the next several verses, 71 to 73. He speaks about how uh, they have deliverance from their enemies and how that deliverance would allow them to serve God alone and completely without fear. And so the point here is that after 1,400 years... God is proven faithful to the nation of Israel. That's what Zechariah is pointing to. His words, God's words are true and they can be trusted. Like this was a huge... Day when they recognize that the promises that God had made thousands of years before are beginning to come true right before their eyes, that's an incredible moment. And it's out of this uh, this situation that they've been in of silence um, and waiting for God and feeling like he might never respond, that the promises might never be fulfilled. And then all of a sudden, all of this begins to happen. He's like, God hasn't forgotten about us. And so Zechariah first points to all the things that have happened, all the prophecies and the promises that were leading up to um, this incredible day. And then Zechariah begins to get a little more um, personal. And he begins to talk about God's faithfulness specifically. So he talks about God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel to fulfill the promises and bring a king from the line of David. And then he gets real um, he gets real specific to him and his newborn son. Let's look at the next few verses. And you, child, he's talking about John, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So picture this moment if, if, if you can. Not only have they been waiting for the promised Messiah for thousands of years, way back in in Genesis, they've been waiting for this moment to come and they got the feeling with the silence and everything that it might never come, and so that's huge. But on top of that, you have Zachariah and Elizabeth who had been praying for decades for a baby and then given up on that prayer because it's never gonna happen. And then all of a sudden that prayer is answered. And so that's a huge thing. So all of this stuff is, is going on. On top of that, you have prophecies in the Old Testament about before the Messiah comes, there's going, to become a, a, there's going to come another Elijah who will prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zacharias just found out that his kid is that Elijah. And, and the text actually says that, that he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's like this crazy moment. And so all of this stuff is going on through Zechariah's um, mind, the struggle with infertility, and then they conceived, and then uh, all of these promises and these dormant things, they have now been answered. And, and so he talks about God's faithfulness to the nation, but then he's like, hey, God's faithful to us, too, and and God's faithful to to, to me and to Elizabeth, your mom, and he's going to be faithful to you as well, John, because he's proven that that's what he does. He makes a promise, and then he fulfills that promise, And, and so to know that your son that you have prayed for for so long is going to usher in the rule and reign of the promised Messiah, like, wow, that's incredible but there's even even more. Because the next thing John talks about is God's faithfulness futuristically. And uh, I don't mean like sci-fi, futuristically, I mean in the future. And um, probably that's not the right way to say it, but you know what I'm trying to um, talk about. Uh, You you, you get it, he's talking about God was faithful to the nation, he's been faithful specifically to our family, and he's gonna be faithful, we expect, long into the future. And so Zechariah begins to look out. He begins to look forward beyond his family and the nation um, and speak. Here's what he says. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He's looking forward and he's talking about God's going to be faithful to all of us in the future. So he's prompted by the Holy Spirit to talk about God's tender mercy that causes the sun to rise, which is this image of of warmth and concern. Like God cares about his people, and he doesn't just care about his people, he cares about all people, especially those who are in spiritual darkness who are in the shadow of death. This is the point of of faith and of following um, Jesus. God isn't satisfied with just rescuing the people of Israel. He wants all people to come to faith and to step out of darkness into his glorious light and to follow what Zechariah calls the way of peace. We understand that today as, as taking place through a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and I noticed that um, Zachariah's song doesn't mention the word joy or rejoice like Mary's song did. But you can feel the joy in Zechariah's words. Like after waiting for so long, their family personally, the nation corporately, that God has finally fulfilled his promise promise, and that's a reason to celebrate. That's a reason to be joyful, because God will always fulfill His promises. uh, Israel had had waited since Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, and God is talking to them about discipline that's come, but in the midst of that, He says to the serpent um, that there is a seed of Mary who will come, and you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. That's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first prophecy of a Messiah. And so um, they had waited for so long for this Messiah who would finally, and once and for all, defeat evil. And I got to thinking, haven't you and I been waiting, been waiting for the same thing? Israel had been waiting and now we're waiting for 2,000 years. We're still waiting for God to fulfill His promise since Jesus' birth. We know that there's more to the promises of God because He's promised a day when He will come and His light will shine and then we will really walk in peace. We call it here real life. And the real life that we have when we're in the presence of god and everything is set right once again like john we've been called as well to be prophets of the most high to prepare the way of jesus so that others might experience the joy that comes when you have forgiveness of sin and in a couple weeks 13 days when we hold candles and stand around this room, we'll be reminded of God's light, the light that shines through our lives as we follow Jesus, and how that light continues to shine in the darkness and give light to those in the shadow, the shadow of death, and then guiding their feet in the way of peace. God still has the ability to radically change our lives. But more than that, to radically change what our lives are about and what they could be. You see, when um, we are sure that God is faithful at every level, more faithful at every opportunity. And I think that's what Zechariah's prayer is really about, or his song is really about. That no matter what happens, no matter how um, deep into despair you get and you feel like God is never going to answer your prayer, that he's never going to show up, or that he's just walked away or said no and that's it, Zachariah points us to God's faithfulness. It says, God is faithful to us and we need to be faithful to him. As you um, go throughout this week, remember Zechariah. Remember God's faithfulness. Pray for those things that are on your heart and recognize that at any moment, God can show up and do not just the impossible, but the incredible as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day, the opportunity to look at at Zachariah's song, the faith that that he had, and, and, and really even those, maybe his faith was waning, the faith that's restored, as you begin to answer promises. And so, God, we have this long history of of seeing you make promises and fulfill promises. And I hope that this week that gives us courage to step out in faith. And and as we see that you um, fulfill your promises, that we then take every opportunity to stand up and to do the things that you've called us to do because we know you're there, you're present, you have our back, and you're gonna bring about your goodwill in every situation. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for this time of year. Um, God, would you help us as followers of you to point every person to the path of peace? Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.